Isn't God's amazing grace something that should be exciting, something for each and every one of us that we should be in awe of? Have you been touched by the grace of God? Come on, has the grace of God brought mercy to you? Has the grace of God brought forgiveness to you? Listen, the the grace of God is not something that we can really totally understand. It's something that we experience as God pours that grace into our life. When God gives us, as I said earlier, something that we don't deserve. And he does it because he loves us. He does it because he loves you. And I, again, we'll, we'll share a little bit about the, some of this and, and get into some of this because we need to understand the grace of God. We need to understand that if we've been touched by the grace of God or not. I've been going through Luke chapter four and, and part of the reason that I've chosen, decided to, to go through the way in which I've been going through, and, and I know some of you think painstakingly slow, I want you to see, though, that God has a depth to his word that he wants us to go to. There's an unquenchable, I mean, we we can never get to the bottom and the end of what God has in the depth of his love for you and for me and who he is. And he's revealed this through his word, and there's this depth that we can dive into. God wants us to be deep sea divers, not ice skaters. And he wants us to understand that that we can dive into the depths and find that. Because that's what he does to us. If you've ever been through a time, and I'm sure that most all of you have, where your heart was completely broken, where there was some tremendous loss and some, uh, just, I mean, this place of pain in your life. If you were a Christian and you turned to God in that time, what you found was that God met you right there. That he came and moved in that place, in that great pain. The most painful times in my life are the times where I got, I was encouraged the most because I found God already there waiting for me. His grace is sufficient. And so there's a depth of God's word. And so we've been going through these scriptures to see the depth of this. And I, I, I took the last few weeks and preached through this. We've gone through a lot of scripture. Amen. We've been through a lot of scripture over these past years, and I want to kind of take this, I'm going to read this to you, and then I want to kind of bring together what I want to share today as to um, the wrapping up of this set of and portion of scripture. So let's take a look at verse 22 in Luke chapter 4. My, my goal is by the end of the time we get through these scriptures is that you guys have them memorized. <laughs> All right. And all spoke well of him, talking about Jesus, all were speaking well of Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. hometown." But in truth, so again, when God says, but in truth, we need to know he's about to share with us truth. And so this is truth. I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, but uh, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
And when they heard these things, these were the people in the synagogue, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up, they drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to rightly divide your word and to receive from you what you have uh, ordained for this time. Let the words, Father, minister to the hearts of men and women in this place. Let Jesus come move in our lives and make us, Father God, more like you. Lord, not of me, but of you. Not of me, but of you. And then let the words of man fall to the ground, but let the words of God, the, the understanding of God, the nature of God, the heart of God be received in each and every one that you have ordained for this time. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So briefly, in, in the past few weeks, we've gone through talking about prophets, what a real prophet was, what an Old Testament prophet was, and why that's important for us to understand. Because Jesus, by the prophecy of Moses, the greatest Old Testament prophet, the word says, Moses prophesied that one would come out of the people, one would come out of the flesh, one would come out of his people to be the capital P prophet. The fulfillment of the word. And Jesus was the capital P prophet. And he came and he walked in all sorts of different offices on this earth. One of those offices that he walked in was the office or the anointing of prophet. He came and declared the very word of God. And Jesus came and he preached and he proclaimed the very words of God. Well, Jesus is now coming to Nazareth and he's coming as the prophet. He comes to proclaim the word of God. And he comes into the synagogue with those people that he is the most familiar with. They saw him grow up. He grew up in this little tiny town. And so in this little tiny town, he comes to preach. He goes into the synagogue. He pulls out, or they give him the, the, the scroll of Isaiah. He opens up to, to Isaiah 61, and he declares the prophecy of Isaiah about the coming Messiah. And Jesus reads the scripture about the coming Messiah, God that would come into this world, and he sits down and says, today that scripture is fulfilled in me. He said, I am God. And that's what he was telling them. I am the Messiah, God in the flesh. Well, the people that were the closest to him, those people that were there that day in the synagogue, these Jews, they didn't like it. They came back with, wait a minute, aren't you Joseph's son? They didn't have a good response. All of a sudden, they were marveled with Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, wait a minute. I, he, I, he, listen, Jesus was really, I mean, he's certainly a whole lot better than me, but I can tell when you guys turn on me. <laughs> and so they're turning and Jesus comes back and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't get upset yet. I haven't even begun to upset you. And he tells these stories and he goes back and tells the story about Elijah and this pagan widow from a pagan nation that he goes to. And he comes, and then he tells them about Elisha. How Elisha, the prophet, these were prophets that were coming to declare the very words of God. The prophet came and told Elisha and was sent to this pagan commander, leper, in 2 Kings. And I went through and broke all those down and talked about it. I'm not going back over that. But the people got really upset and they got really mad and Jesus was confronting something. He was confronting their sin and their sin was religion. Religion was causing them to want to kill Jesus. Isn't it amazing that their religion caused them to reject Jesus? 
And church, I thought, we should probably look at that because, you know, it's in our nature to do the same thing that was in their nature then. Our culture has changed, but the nature within us has not. And so those same things that would have caused them to reject Jesus in their heart are still the same things that will be at work in us to reject Jesus in our heart. Because for most of us, most of us are here and you're hearing about this, you know, okay, where they rejected Jesus, they rejected Jesus. And most of us will get into this place, and probably you're all thinking about this at this moment, where we go, thank you, Lord, that I have not rejected you like they have. And we get to that place, and that's my concern. That was their problem. And they rejected Jesus. And I want to take this story and I want to take this opportunity to speak to you about the things that he's revealing in this about why and how people reject Jesus so that you can be aware of them. Don't you think that if it's in the word of God, don't you think if it happened to them and it was enough for Luke to write this down, for Jesus to declare these things and handle these things the way in which he handled them and is declaring them to you and I, that we should take the opportunity to take a look at why? Don't you think it's important? Because there's a lot of people that don't even realize it. And they reject Jesus because of our lack of knowledge. I'm going to do my best to make this very hard for you to reject Jesus because of lack of knowledge. You're going to do it with full-blown knowledge <laughs> if you do. But, but again, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to. Any of you. Jesus died for you. He loves you and he cares for you. And because of that, listen, through his heart, I love you and I care about you. I don't want you to reject Jesus. I want you to know that's been my prayer since, I mean, as I was preparing. Lord, don't let one walk out of this place today rejecting you. So what would compel you to reject Jesus? I know in our minds and our hearts we'd say nothing could cause me to reject Jesus. But there are some things that these people who thought we will never reject the Messiah did as they rejected the Messiah. And number one, one of the reasons that they rejected was because of their theology. I know, big word, Christian word, theology. Theology is really basically what you believe about Jesus. And your th theology for many people can be a problem. We, we like Jesus. We, we accept Jesus. We accept him as teacher. We, we accept him as healer. Hey, I'm glad to accept him as provider. And I know he's the defender of the poor, and I'll accept him as my, my life coach. But man, when Jesus stands up and says, I'm God. And I come to speak the very word of God. I come to declare from the throne of God. We said, wait a minute. Aren't you Joseph's son? Hold, wait a second. I know that you're a really good guy. I know that you're a really good teacher, but... You're not God. You might be son of God, but you, you, you can't be God. You were here on this earth. And, and church, many people do that in their theology. Jesus is a good man, but not the God man. Jesus is a good teacher, 
Jesus is a good person, well, except for when he's lying to us and saying crazy things like, I'm God. He can't be both. Either he is who he says or he is a liar. In church, our theology about Jesus, we can know our theology, our true heart theology about Jesus, and it'll be reflected by how we obey him. Do you obey him as a good teacher, a good man, but reject to obey him when it comes to doing it as Lord? Because that's who he is. He is Lord. He is Savior. But oftentimes, because of our theology, we, we deny him as God. Church, let me encourage you. Do not reject him theologically. He is fully God, fully man. Came to save you and me. And without him, there is no way, there is no hope for Jesus Christ. And he must be God, otherwise he has no ability to forgive sin. And it's sin that separates you from God. And you need your sins to be forgiven, and only God can forgive you of your sin. And God came into this world to lay down his life so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And no man, listen, no man, no woman will come to the Father except through Christ. He is the only door. He is the gate, and there is no other way. Oftentimes, people, number two, reject Jesus because of control issues. Any control freaks out here? You know what? There's a lot of people that reject Jesus because they can't control him. That was a conflict here in Nazareth. The, Jesus came to Nazareth, and they were like so excited. And Jesus came and said, Jesus, here's what we want you to do. We want you to do what you did at Capernaum. Because we saw what happened for those people at Capernaum. It was awesome for them. Jesus, do what you did at Capernaum. Jesus, Jesus, come perform. Come do what we're telling you to do, Jesus. You grew up with us. You know us. You know that this sister over here, she's sick and needs healing. You know that this brother over here needs a job. So Jesus, you know that we're living in this rinky-dink, poor little town that nobody's ever come from, nobody ever comes to, nobody even wants to pass through here. You know all of that, Jesus. So come here. And Jesus, you are like this new rock star. Everybody's following you. Jesus, come to our town and we'll make a banner and we'll set it up to the entrance of our city. Miracle man here. Come do, Jesus. You'll draw huge crowds. Think about it. You'll draw huge crowds. We're going to set up a giant tent, and, and you'll, be the, you'll be the center ring attraction. Come on, Jesus. People are going to come from miles and miles away, and you can feed us, and you can heal us, and you can bless us, and you can make Nazareth your headquarters. Just think about it, Jesus. You know what they were saying? You know what they really wanted? They wanted Jesus to come so they could use him for their own mission. They wanted to get rich. They wanted to prosper off of Jesus. 
It was a control issue. And you know what Jesus said? No. I'm not going to do any miracles here. Why? Because he couldn't? No, he was God. He is God. Of course he could do miracles there. He didn't do miracles there because he thought, he knew that they would think that they controlled him. He knew their motives were completely and totally wrong. He, he knew their motives were disgusting to him. Jesus knew that, you know what? You guys don't love me. You don't trust me. And you don't obey me. So what's he do? He tells them a story about a widow. A widow who got a miracle. After she trusted, obeyed him. He then tells them a story about a pagan commander with leprosy who got his miracle after he trusted and obeyed the word of God. Jesus, he's saying to these people that are there, you know what, you guys don't, you don't love me. You don't really trust me. You don't want to obey me. All you want is miracles. You're not looking to me as savior, as God, as savior. You're looking for me to be a genie that will pop up out of a bottle and do whatever it is you want me to do. You want to just control me and tell me what it is that your three wishes are for the day and I'll come and I'll do this for you. Though, he said, no, I won't do that. And again, people come to church like that. People come in, listen, people, usually people come into church because they have a need in their life. There's something that's happened. There's something that's lost. There's something that's broken. There's something that they, they come in and they need some help and they come in and they think that Jesus will be that genie that'll rise up out of the bottle, out of the Bible and come and do whatever it is they need or tell him to do. And people come into church and they say, okay, Jesus, here's what I need. Here it is. It's all wrapped up in a package. Here is, this is what I need. Okay, This Jesus stuff doesn't work. He won't even do what I want him to do. Forget him. And what happens is we go off into some kind of new post-Christian theology or anti-Christian theology, or we decide, well, you know what? I'll just go to a church that will meet my needs, that will do what I tell them. Many people today reject Jesus for that reason. There's also then number three, which is greed. You know what? Nazareth stood, Nazareth, from their viewpoint, this was a money-making situation. This was, a, this was, imagine, if we can get Jesus to stay here. Just imagine what all these crowds will do. We, we could build a huge synagogue. Come on, we could have a bigger synagogue than Capernaum has. And people will come from all over. And when people come from all over, they're going to need rooms to stay in. They're going to need restaurants to eat at. They're going to need rent-a-donkeys. <laughs> Think of it. They're, this is going to be awesome. If, this is going to be so great. Think of the offerings that we could take after somebody gets healed. We're going to do great. They wanted to use Jesus for money. And church, he, he goes in and he tells them the story about this poor, wait, poor pagan widow. 
they wanted to use him for money, and he stops and says, let me tell you about this poor pagan widow. You know what? She had absolutely nothing. And a couple of things. One, I want you to notice, even though she had nothing, she didn't come to Jesus, or she didn't come to the Word. The Word came to her. And the Word came to her, and the Word asked her to give the last handful of flour and the couple drops of oil that she had left. Jesus came and asked for the poor to give up her final meal while she's starving to death and to then let the prophet come live with her. Church, you don't use God for money. You know what that's called? It's idolatry. We begin to worship money. Now, we love God, not for what he does. We love God because of who he is. We love God because he is God. All right? We love God because he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We love Jesus because he's God, not because of what he does for us, not how we can gain from him or not what we can get from him. We don't do because we want to get from him. We do because we love him, because he's God, because we obey him. We do for him because that is what he's asked, what he's commanded of us to do. And we respond out of love by saying, yes, Lord. Amen. Yep. We do because he's God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Number four is selfishness. I know that doesn't have anything to do with anybody here, but I'm just going to go through this one just because I think this was their problem. There was selfishness. You know, the people of Nazareth, when he showed up, you know, some of the things you got to look at too is you got to look at what they said, and then you also have to look at what they didn't say. Because when he showed up, the people of Nazareth, they didn't say, Jesus, this is amazing. You're the fulfillment. You're the Messiah. Well, how can we reach the nations with this good news? What can we do to spread the good news to all that are around? What can we do to take your message out so that we can help you and serve you? How can I lay down my life to be able to take the message that the Messiah has come to all of those that are lost? What can we do to help you, Jesus? No, you know what they said? What about me? What about me? Jesus, where's my miracle? Where's my food? Where's my healing? Where's my provision? Jesus, what about me, 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 me? Jesus didn't save you for you. Amen. He saved you to the glory of the Father. Amen. Selfishness will cause us to reject Jesus. Number five, familiarity. Isn't this Joseph's son? Wait a minute. We know him. He comes and he says, wait a minute. He comes and he says he's God. He says he's the Messiah. He says he's the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. He says he's Lord. He says he's God. But isn't he Joseph's son? Come on, we know him. I babysat him. Wait a minute. I, that, 
That's not who he is. This is who he is. And church, the truth is this. We can become so familiar with Jesus the man that we overlook and deny his deity. We can create a man-made image of Jesus out of our own familiarity. Think about it. We can grow up in church. We can be around Bible teaching. We can grow up and go to Christian camps every single summer. We can go to Christian school. We can have Christian family, and we can be surrounded with Christian friends, and we can have Christians at work, and our neighbors are Christians, and everything around us, there's Christians everywhere. And then I get to go to Bible school, where I'm being taught by some goofy Bible college professor who couldn't make it in the ministry, so now he's teaching, and he gives you some weird, funky, new liberal insight to Jesus that has absolutely no biblical foundation and all of a sudden you're enlightened I got this down I got this covered I know this is so true it feels so right because I know him so well and the truth is is that we're not accepting him we're rejecting him when you move off of a biblical basis for who Jesus is in, this, in the flesh and in his deity, you move, you move towards rejection, not acceptance of Jesus Christ. And what happens is we get to this place where we're so familiar that we move on, that we move past some of the realities of the Bible, and we begin to accept things into our de- definition of Jesus that are out of familiarity and not out of the Bible. And we move into spiritism, and we move into demonism, and we move into all sorts of weird theologies and doctrines of demons. We move into all kinds of false teaching. Why? Well, you know what? I know him. I, I know all the stories. Listen, how many of us have said this or thought, I know all the stories. You come to church and sometimes I don't want to go to church. I already know what he's going to talk about. I already know the stories. I already know the doctrine. I, I know it all. Really? You think that you know it all. You think you know all there is to know about the Jesus that gave us eternal life and eternal life is eternal because that's how long it's going to take for us to get to the depth of the understanding of who Jesus Christ is and it has to be eternal because there's no end to it and you think in your limited little mind that you have a full grasp of who he is. I got it down. All because I know him so well. And truth is, you don't. You don't know him. Like these people of Nazareth. Listen, church, we can become, they, these people of Nazareth, they were so familiar with him that they were unaware of his true identity as God among them. They were so caught up in their religious Ways that they, in their familiarity, they denied the fact that he truly was and is God among them. And I, I really, I worry about this with our church kids. I do. When I when I met Jesus, I got like in a moment. I just got totally fired up. It was like, yeah, Jesus. 
Because I, I was just totally fired up. And I think a large part of that for me was because I didn't grow up knowing a lot about Jesus. I thought I did, but I truly, I didn't grow up knowing a lot about Jesus. I didn't know a lot about who he was. I didn't grow up reading the Bible. We didn't read the Bible at our house. I grew up marginal Catholic. So, I mean, we, we, were, we were Catholics, and, and we weren't even really that good a Catholic. We were, we were, you know what we were? We were good enough Catholics. And that's how I grew up, and I, I didn't know that much at all about Jesus. Most of it was I wasn't paying attention. I knew some things about the Bible. I didn't know the Bible. I knew some things about Jesus. I, I knew that Jesus had done some things with some fish and some loaves. You know, there was something he did. I, one, of the, one of my catechism teachers was telling the story, and I, I, just, I remember the story. He was telling us how Jesus could water ski without a boat. That was about as much as I knew about Jesus when I was unsaved. That was about as much as I, I, I knew about him. And, I, and I, I, my lack of knowledge was only surpassed by my lack of familiarity with him. Now, I wouldn't have thought that, though. But that's where I was. And when I met Jesus, you know what I started to do? I, I started to read my Bible. And before I met Jesus... You know what? It didn't matter what language my Bible was in. I tried to blame it on the, oh, the old King James. You know what? It could have been German or Greek. I have no idea what this is saying. It was just mumbo jumbo. And then I gave my heart to Jesus and I started to read my Bible. And it was like, wah, wah. All these things were going off and these lights were going off. And it was like the auto highlight was on and these things were going off. And the word of God, it was all so fresh. And it was all so real. And then I went to church. And I was surrounded with these people that were loving Jesus. They were on fire for Jesus. I did not know there was people like you guys out there. And it was crazy. It was like, wow, this is so awesome. And I was just totally fired up because it was all fresh. I know that's what the word of God means when the Bible tells us to pray and ask the Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Amen. Lord, don't let that fire, don't let that passion dwindle in me. But for those of you that are like my, like my kids, they grew up with a dad that talked about Jesus all the time. And they heard Jesus every day of their life. They heard about Jesus. They saw open Bibles all over the place. They were like landmines. <laughs> they heard the name of Jesus every single day. They heard Bible teachings. They spent every week in church. They were, had to read their Bibles. Listen, my prayer for my kids and for kids like that is that they don't become so familiar with Jesus that they begin to deny his deity in their life. We become so familiar. Listen, familiarity really does lead to contempt. How can we ever get to the end of being amazed with a God who loves us like Jesus? 
A God who put the stars in place. A God who spun the universes into place. A God who created all that we know. A God that created each and every one of you. A God who knew the failings of a sinful man and came into this broken, darkened world. God himself made this decision to lay down his deity, to, not his deity, to his robes of deity, and to come and take upon himself flesh and to come into this world. This God loves you so much that he knew in your sin you were broken that you were hopeless, that you were helpless. There was nothing you could do. You were a sinner and there was nothing you could do to get out of your sin. And he watched as you tried and tried and tried and there was nothing you could do. So God said finally in his mercy and grace, I'm going down there and dad, I'm going to go get him. And God came into this world to come and get you. How can we ever, he came to rescue you. How can we ever get to the end of our amazement about this wonderful God who came into this world to rescue us from something that we had no hope or ability to see rescue come in our own? This is the amazing place. We should continually be. Not, we cannot get so familiar with Jesus the man that we are not astonished with Jesus our God. Next thing that we uh, see abusing us to reject Jesus is comfort. Anybody enjoy their comfort? I think that was part of the problem they were having here, and that's why Jesus used these examples. How, how, do you, how many of you think it was comfortable for this widow to give her food to the prophet? Do you think it was comfortable for her to invite him in and give him a house, a place to stay? Do you think it was comfortable for Naaman to go into another nation after he had just gone and raided and took their kids? You think it was comfortable for him to go into a nation with a, a God that he didn't know? To go before a people that he didn't know? And say, hey, I've got this condition I can't do anything about. Do you think it was comfortable for him to go into that place where before God's people, he had to go into God's river and he had to dip himself? Think it was comfortable for his flesh when he went into the waters as a leper seven times? You think it was comfortable? Think it was comfortable after he got out of the water, got back on his horse and headed back to Elisha's house with baby soft skin? Uh, that part. Love that. You know what? He didn't get to the comfortable part without the uncomfortable part. Amen. And there are some of us that, you know what? We're in that same place. It's comfort that stops us. It's comfort that hinders us. You know, pastor, I would give, but it's just not that comfortable for me. You know what, pastor? I would serve, but I'm just not that comfortable yet. You know what, pastor? I, I would pray. I'd pray out loud, but I'm you know what, I'm just not comfortable that way. You know, Pastor, I would sing, but I'm just not comfortable. And, and you know what, I would raise my hands in worship, but that's weird uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what, Jesus, I would follow you. But it's just not comfortable. Come on, Jesus, you know what? I would, you fill in your own blank. I would, 
but it's just not comfortable. Let me say this because I love you. But if that was any of your excuses, you're worshiping convenience instead of Christ. I'm so thankful that Jesus did not worry about being comfortable when he went to the cross for me. Number seven, which will stop us, embarrassment. How many of you found out that when you came to Christ, you didn't win any cool points? If you, if you came to Christ in high school, you didn't all of a sudden become the cool kid. You know, I mean, it's just not. We don't, we, being a Christian isn't really the cool thing. This was something that I struggled with as a non-Christian. All the Christians in high school, they had their, their Christian, you know, Bible club. It was like, oh, man. To me at that point, and again, this was as a non-Christian. That's the freak show. All they do is come over and tell me I need Jesus. Well, uh, if Jesus is going to make me like you, then forget it. Why would I want to do that? I don't want to join that team. That's not a team that I want to be a part of. That's the nerd team. That's the Ned Flanders Society. Come on. I don't want to join the geek squad. You guys have got to be kidding. What, are you going to make me go and put a fish, a bumper sticker on the back of my car now? What are you, what, now if I come to Christ, I got to wear this big gaudy t-shirt? And what's with the wristband? Come on. And then they're like this. They're like, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We love Jesus. It's like, man, you guys remind me of Buddy the Elf when he found out Santa was coming. You know, I mean, it's like, like calm down. Honestly, I thought, seriously, is there another team within you guys somewhere? Are there people that are on your team that won't show up with you? Is there a team that wears just black shirts? Come on, is there a team that I can join? You guys have got to have a team somewhere. You've got to have a cool team hiding somewhere. Because I was embarrassed. I love Jesus! I was like, calm down. Here, smoke this. <laughs> that was... You, uh, you know how weird it was when I was in my 20s and I got saved. And I was on fire. I was all like on fire. And, and I, I went in, I was working at a restaurant and I went into the restaurant and I was like, I love Jesus. You guys should come to church with me. I love Jesus. And that feeling when all of a sudden I saw in their eyes the same look that they had for me, that I had for those kids that were a part of the Bible college, our Bible club. It was like, ah, oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Didn't stop me, but 
It was still embarrassing. And then I went out, then I, I, I had quit the restaurant, and my brother and I, we opened up a cultured marble shop. We were manufacturing cultured marble, and I was out there doing the installations. And so I was out on the job sites and uh, with all these other crews around, you know, the, the painters and the tile guys. I was always in the same place as the tile guys. And, and so we were, we were out there, and I'd go out and install, and I, I brought my, my, uh, my radio. My, that was back in the day. <laughs> And I, and, I, and I kid you not, I, I had my, my Jesus cassette, the Jesus right on it. It was my mix. And I'd blast that thing, and, and the guys on the job site were, um, they were making fun of me. I, I'd even, I'd, I'd even I'd walk out of the bathroom where we were doing the work and walk into the kitchen where the towel guys were, and I, they'd hear us coming, and they'd be, they'd be like... <laughs> they... They thought I was a freak. And it was, again, it really was, in my flesh, it was embarrassing. And then I'd, I'd do something stupid, you know, I'd, I'd say an off-color joke. I, was, I wasn't that saved, so I still had some of those <laughs> jokes in me. And so I, you know, trying to relate, and I'd say something that was off-color, and, the, and these guys who would use filthy language say filthy things, they would look at me with a joke that was just a little off-color, and they'd go, oh, you Christians, are you really supposed to say something like that? Or something would happen where a pastor or, a, or somebody would fall, and they'd like, oh, you Christians... You hypocrites. It's like, come on. I mean, one person tripped. There's billions of us. We're not all doing that. But still, it was embarrassing. Even still to this day, when a pastor steps outside of his marriage and ends up in an adulterous affair and it comes out and everybody finds out, you know what? That embarrasses me makes me just not want to tell people I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's embarrassing. But listen, do you think that it was embarrassing for Naaman to go down to the river? Hey, I'm the warrior, and I'm the one who took your kids, and I'm a leper, and I need your help. How humbling, how embarrassing. Well, for those that were in Nazareth, Jesus, in all of this message, Jesus is saying, and you guys, you need to understand this. You're the bad guys. And the people in the synagogue, the people in that church that day were like, well, well wait, really? Wait, this is embarrassing. Because we all got together and voted that we're the good guys. Well, we're going to kill you. That was their response. Before you kill Jesus, some of you need to humble yourself before the Lord. Or allow the Lord to humble you. Because he will. He's very good at that. Embarrassment will turn us away from Jesus. You cannot be afraid of him or embarrassed of him. And the last thing I'll, I'll finish up with is this, is religion. You know, sometimes it's just good old religion that just becomes a problem, and that was me. Before I met Jesus at the age of 27, I, I would have told you, even though I had very little knowledge of God, knowledge of, of the Bible or anything, I would have told you that I was a religious guy. I, I, would, have, that's, I would have said that because I grew up, I was born into a marginally Catholic family. 
So we were Catholic. So I was religious. And I believed in God. I, I believed in him. I went to church. Come on, I went to church. Until I was 16 anyway, I went to church. I'm a good person. Come on, I'm a good... Okay, I may not be a really good person, but I will tell you this, I am a good enough person. I am. Well, okay, so I drank. Big deal. And smoked. And did drugs. And slept around. But I'm a good person. Come on, I had a truck. I helped people move. <laughs> How much better can I get? Come on, you know what? There are some of you that won't do that. <laughs> that makes me better than you. Hey, that's the way it works. Church, in my mind, I was a good guy. In my mind, I was one of the good guys. Why? Because I believed in the idea of Jesus. Because I had religion in my past. Because I was born, and I, you know what? What that did was, that made me good enough. And you know how I made myself good enough? By finding some of you who are bad enough. And if I can find enough of you that are bad enough, I can be good enough because I can always point down at you. And if I'm having a problem because I've made bad choices and things, and if I'm having a problem making, finding enough of you that are bad enough, then I just have to exalt myself a little bit higher because all I have to be is good enough. You know, it's like the like the guy who thinks he can outrun a bear. No, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. Yep. You know what? I don't have to be good enough. I just got to be better than you. You know what that's called? Religion. That's religion. Where we exalt ourselves over others because we decide our behavior is better than theirs because we're better than you. And if I can find enough people that I'm better than, then I become okay. Religious people don't think they need Jesus because they're doing just fine without him. Why rock the boat? And the truth is they don't realize that they're in worse shape than the widow that they're in worse shape than the leper. And church, the truth is, all of us are more needy than the widow. And all of us are dirtier and more hopeless than that leper. Yes, you and I, each and every one of us, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us, we are sinners. And I want you to listen. We are sinners by nature and we are sinners by choice. You sin because it's in your nature and you sin because you choose to. And church, those people in Nazareth, they rejected. They rejected the only hope of forgiveness, the only hope of salvation. They rejected him because he didn't fit their religious narrative. 
And I want to encourage you today. Don't reject Jesus. They wanted to kill him that day. They didn't, but eventually they did. Eventually the religious people killed him. Why? Because they chose their religion over Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus did the most amazing thing in the world. They rejected Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross, and he took our sin upon his selfless self, his sinless self, and he died for us to forgive us of all of the sins that he bore for us. You know, we are sinners by nature and by choice. Jesus is Savior by nature and by choice. He came in his nature to save, and by his choice, he fulfilled it all just for you, just for us. And I find that to be absolutely amazing. And that is what Jesus is. He is always, he is only, he is good to the very end. There is nothing about him that isn't good. And he has provided for you and me. He has provided by his grace for you and I, just like he did that widow. And he has provided for you and I healing for each one, just like he did that leper. And he provided all of that for you and I while we denied him and while we hated him and while we ignored him and while we spit upon him and while we used his name in vain, while we misrepresented him, while we killed him. He came and he continues today to love us. And he continues just like he is right now. He continues to reach out to each and every one just like he's doing to you right now. Because he loves you. Worship team, would you come back up, please? This is a sad fact. The sad fact is this. That some of you, you're gonna reject him just like they did in Nazareth. I I know that's gonna happen because the Bible tells us that one day many will stand before him and say, Lord, we did this, we did this, we did that, we did this in church, we did these things. And he says, away from me, you evildoers, I don't know you. Those are church people. So there's some of you that are gonna walk out of this place today Rejecting Jesus, just like those in Nazareth. I pray you do not do that. I will get down on my knees and beg you, don't do that. Your eternal life is at stake. Please don't do that. I am not beyond humiliating myself for your salvation. Jesus did it on the cross. How do you think he felt hanging naked on a cross for all to see? Some of you will reject Jesus like the soldiers did. The soldiers that put a crown on his head, a crown of thorns, who beat him and whipped him as he walked along the road carrying this heavy cross, the cross that you should have carried. The soldiers who laid him down on a cross and nailed his hands and his feet to it. The soldiers who stood that cross up only to have him drop into the ground. Those soldiers that stood there, you know what happened though? There was one soldier that day 
that had a change of heart and a change of mind. And at the foot of the cross, he received Jesus that day. Maybe some of you will be like the thief on the cross. There were three thieves that hung on crosses right next to Jesus. And they mocked him. They reviled him, the word says. And that day on the cross, in their moment of death, one of them cried out and said, you truly are the Son of God. And Jesus turned to him and said, today you shall be with me in paradise. One of the last things Jesus said to a dying man, today salvation has come to you. And he received God. And I tell you that because, church, I want you to know there's still hope. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've walked through, no matter what stage of life you're in, there is hope for you. If you're still alive, if you still have a breath in your body, if you still can hear my voice, there is hope for you. And let me say this, that just because you rejected Jesus in the past does not mean that you can't receive him here today. And in that, some of you, it'll be like the widow. This widow, just by faith, she just said, yes, Lord. Some of you by faith will just say, you know what? Yes, Lord, I receive you today. I receive your word into my life. For some of you, it may, you may be more like the leper and you're going to struggle. He struggled. He struggled. He got angry. He went through all those things. But he eventually came to the place where he chose to listen to the Holy Spirit drawing him and speaking to him and calling him to obedience. Well, God has called you to accept the Lord Jesus Christ unto your heart, to call upon the name of the Lord. He has called you to that. And for some of you today, you need to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit that's speaking that, that's drawing that, that's bringing you unto this time of salvation, that like that pagan commander leper you could receive the Lord Jesus into your life today and that's what I want for you that's what I pray for and I want that because I know how much he loves you and I know how much I love you I want good for you and I I don't want you to walk out those doors without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ because you're not promised tomorrow I want you to understand, to know and experience the amazing grace of God. To know the tremendous gift of Jesus Christ in your life. And I now leave that between you and Him. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that your word, Lord God, is powerful and mighty, that your word can do what no man can, that your word can come into our lives and convict us of our sin, to bring us to a place, Lord, of seeking out your righteousness, that your spirit could work in us to draw us to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And God, we worship you today. We worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, for the prophets who gave us this word, the prophets who spoke, the prophets who were filled by the Holy Spirit that's drawing us today to that same word they spoke. We thank you for Jesus Christ that he came into this world 
in nature and in choice to save us. The capital P, the prophet, who came not just to speak the word, to be the fulfillment of that word. And so we receive you today, Jesus. May we, like that widow, make a home for you in our heart. May we receive you with gladness. May we receive you, Lord Jesus Christ, and make that our heart a place that you would live and dwell. God, may we even like those who may get angry or may have been upset or may have been independent and self-righteous in their pursuit of God or thoughts of God, like this commander may not have known anything about God, like the soldier at the cross or the thief that hung next to him. God, may our hearts be open while we still can open our hearts to you. And may we receive you today as Lord Jesus Christ. We welcome you, Jesus. We ask you to come into our lives not because we're good, we're not. We ask you to come because you're good. And in your goodness, Lord, we want you to come. We, we have greater need than that leper did. Lord, we need more provision than that widow did because our condition is worse than both of them. We are apart from you, Lord. And apart from you, we have no hope. So Lord God, May your joy fill us today. May we rejoice, O oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And may we today, Lord, experience the amazing grace of God.
want you to know I did. And I, there was those people that I, I mocked, those people that were in the Bible club, those people, they were, I love Jesus! And, and it was like, I don't want that. But there was a moment in my life where I was in dire straits and in a situation where something had turned in my heart. And I met some people that were like, I love Jesus! And it was because of them I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. It was because of those who had a fire and a passion in their life. I want you to know that, you know, the same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. Church, I want you to go out there and go tell the world, I love Jesus! Go be the light that God has called you to be. Go be a lover of Jesus. Go be the church. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. And we're about to release the church. So go be the church. Amen? God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Go out there and go love on Jesus! Come on, sing it as we go.